I'm full to the point of overflowing. And I don't know where to begin, where to end. But as we were singing, one of the verses that I was thinking would be the closing, I feel to be the opening. We've been in this series, Rhythms of Remembrance, for three months. My soul has been beyond satisfied with the word of God. As we prepare to close this series, one of the questions that are rumbling on the inside is, have we instituted a rhythm of remembrance? And as we prepare to go into Psalm 34, I believe what we'll see is that if we truly do have a rhythm of remembrance, then we will be a people of praise. But before we look to unpack Psalm 34 with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to read from Romans chapter 5, because I want us to make sure that we're framing where we're going in light of where we have been and where we are because of Jesus Christ. Because I believe that if we can hear the word of God this morning, remembering who God is to us and what he has done for us, then there would be no disagreement that we, no matter where we are or what we're going through, will be a people of praise. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you believe in Jesus Christ, this is your testimony. And as we talk about being a people of praise, again, there are a lot of things that we're dealing with, a lot of things that we're going through. But if we can have a remembrance of what God has done for us, and we're filtering now life and the word through this truth, then it changes how we receive and how we respond to the word of God. So with this truth in our hearts, I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer 
as we prepare to go into the word of God this morning. Father, we're abundantly grateful for this truth that we who were separated because of the blood of Jesus have been reconciled. Not because of perfection, not because we have flawlessly executed, but because of your grace. And so, Father, there are a lot of different things happening in the world today, a lot of troubling things happening in many homes today. But because of who you are and what you have done, we will be a people of praise because you're a good God who does all things well. So on this morning, Father, as only you can, would you captivate our hearts and minds that we might leave this place responding to who you are and not what's happening in the world around us. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray, our great Redeemer. Amen. Psalm 34 reads, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. It's good all by itself. As we look at Psalm 34, what we'll see is David is making a passionate plea 
to the people to praise God. And then in the second half of the psalm, David is making a persuasive plea to the people to fear God. But in order to really appreciate what David is crying out passionately and persuasively, we first have to understand what David knew personally. And when we look at the opening part of this psalm, it may not have a number one by it, but it's the opening part of the psalm as it gives us context to what this psalm was birthed out of. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we see the story of when David changed his behavior before Abimelech, or as we read in 1 Samuel, Achish, to spare his life. And so I want to make sure we have some context because it truly does change the complexion of this entire psalm as we hear it. 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is running for his life from Saul who is trying to kill him because he's jealous of him because he sees the anointing of God on him. And David now runs into the land of his enemy, the very enemy that he's been decimating for some time now to try to find safety. That's how bad things were in Israel. And we pick up in verse 10 to see when David changes his behavior. The word reads, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart. And was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and make marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is the story, this is the scene that this psalm is birthed out of. David, on the run, goes to the enemy's territory to try and find refuge, and they make him out. And they don't just say he's a commander, they see him as king. No wonder Saul was jealous. Even the enemy thought that David was in charge. And so David, to save himself, starts drooling from his mouth to where spit was on his beard. And he's acting like he has lost his mind. And they let him go because he's clearly insane. And now David's hiding out in a cave surrounded by 400 men who are in distress, who are in debt, and who are bitter and so. And David writes this psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, I could take 30 minutes just on the strength of what the background is and what David says in verse 1. 
but we're just going to touch on it high level real quick. What you see here is that David is saying it's not based on the place that you're in or the position that you find yourself. He declares, I'm in the cave of Adullam, spit just fresh on his beard. 400 people who are about as bad a situation as he's in. And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. David, you're in the cave of Adullam, acting like you were insane. At all times, even this time, yes, because God is good all the time. It's not based on where I am. David is not saying, I will bless the Lord when I get to the castle. I'll bless the Lord when I get past this point in my life. No, I will bless the Lord in this cave. Why? Because the same God who raised me up is the same God who's with me in this cave. So no matter where I am or what I'm going through, I will adore God with bended knee. That's what it means to bless. In other words, I will honor, I will reverence the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he's worthy of praise. And just so that we're clear, let me tell you what you can't do when you're praising continually. You cannot complain incessantly. You can't do it. Go ahead and try to say, Lord, thank you, and I'm sick and tired of being where I am at the same time. Somebody's not going to believe one of the things that you're saying. So if you're going to praise God continually, I understand that the cave is dark, dingy, and damp. And I know that it doesn't look very good right now. But because of who God is and what he has done and what he has guaranteed to do, I will bless the Lord. At all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Anybody know the Lord that way? Things falling apart around you. Doesn't look too good for you. You were anointed king. But you look anything but kingly. But because of who God is. And what he has done. I will bless the Lord. David has a personal praise. But because he knows who his God is, his praise cannot be contained. And so he makes a passionate plea for others to praise this good God who he has come to know so well. And so David says his boast is in the Lord. The humble should hear this and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The humble, the lowly, the poor, those who find themselves in the same kind of situation that David finds himself in. David is singing a psalm to 400 people who are in debt, in distress, and bitter in soul and saying, praise the Lord with me. Magnify his name. Let us exalt him together. Why, David? Because David understands while his praise is personal, he knows that his God is not partial. See, what God has done for me, he will do for you too. And since I know this to be true, I know it looks bad. I know you're in debt. I understand that you're in distress. I know that you're bitter in soul. But you too can make your boast in the Lord because God is no respecter of person. If he was willing to rescue me from sin, death, and the grave, then he will do it for you too. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. But Michael, you don't know where I am. You don't know where I've been. May the humble make their boast in the Lord, not in their circumstances or situations. Your boast is in the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that's what David goes on to teach. He's personal. 
but he's not partial. partial. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This is what David has come to experience in his relationship with his Redeemer. But those who seek him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. He'll do it for you too. Those who seek him, all who seek him, your face will never be ashamed. This is coming from the man who was drooling down his beard and acting insane. He says, I'm not ashamed. And we're going to get there to why he was not ashamed by that circumstance because of what he, know, what he knew to be true for his life. This poor man cried, this humble person, this lowly man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles, and he'll do it for you too. The angel of the Lord encamps around those, everyone who fears him and delivers them. And this is beautiful because if we understand it rightly, the angel of the Lord, singular, encamps plural around all of those who fear him. This angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ himself. David is saying that if you fear the Lord, Jesus will encamp around you. He will surround you. That's what we were talking about last week, that force field. When you fear him, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, makes a personal visitation and he encamps around you. But do you deserve it? Are you worthy of it? He's no respecter of person. You cannot look this way and say, oh, well, you know, Michael is a pastor and he preaches. So, yeah, he has a direct line to the Lord. No, I don't. No more direct than you do. Jesus tore the veil. We do not need a high priest anymore. You do not need me to pray for you. I will, but you don't need me to pray for you. Which always tickles me when I go over people's house and the pastor's in the room. So do you want to pray? Like, no, I don't want to. You see, it sounds wrong. Like, yes, I want to pray, but you pray. I'm in your house. Like, why can't you pray? Well, you the pastor. He's not partial. He's going to hear you the same way he hears me. The same Jesus is going to camp around you as he is in camping around me. See, my passion is birthed from a different place because I've experienced that God is good. Right? And that's what David says, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Listen, when you have tasted and seen, I mean for real, that it's good, sweeter than honey, more beautiful than the picturesque scene on the ocean or the mountain, wherever your thing is, you don't leave that place and say, well, you know, it was all right. No, you have got to taste and see. And people say, well, are we going to do evangelism 101? Yes, you know what evangelism 101 is? Taste and see. Because when you taste and see it, you don't need to know all the seasoning. You don't need to know how they cooked it. All you need to know is that it was good. Hey, you need to go get some. What they put in, Michael, I don't know, but it's good. Go get it. Oh, but if I'm not a theologian or a biblical scholar, let me just tell you about a man who told me everything I have ever done. I think I met the Messiah. And he was good to me. And he's not partial. He'll be good to you too. Taste and see. That God is good. This passion that I feel for the word of God, that hasn't always been. But I remember what he has done for me and what he has rescued me from. And now the same passion that I pursued sports and all these other things has transferred to the only one who has ever truly satisfied my soul. Oh, I can get down with you and talk about some sports. Yes, I can talk about some food, even though I'm not a foodie, but my wife's food, man, listen, you all are missing out. 
But you sit down with the word of God and something in me just changes. I'm like, Michael, just calm down a little bit. I'm trying. I really am. Like, I try to come in low and say, Bill, Michael, but then I read it and I'm like, I'm off. You know, I just, I can't contain it. Right? But I've tasted and seen how good it is. You've got to share that with somebody else. You give me a whole week to sit in the Word, just hold on, I'm coming. Full throttle. Right? It's that good. We've got to taste it. You've got to experience this is what David is saying because blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You will not be disappointed. Right? This is a passionate plea. It's not a, well, you know, if you have some time, would you consider coming to service on Sunday? What? You better make time. Where else you going to be? That you're going to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Michael, get off that sofa. Don't, don't stay on it too long. You're right. All right, here we go. God takes care of you, and only God. So David makes it plain in this passionate plea. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, again, you can sit here and say, well, I'm lacking some good things, but allow me to remind you, this psalm is birthed out of the cave of Adullam. This is not David riding from the castle. It's David in the cave. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But because of who God is, lack no good thing. Because those who seek the Lord, find the Lord and have the Lord. And you need nothing else. So David makes a shift. He goes from this passionate plea. Praise him, magnify him with me to a persuasive plea. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Is that you? You want to see good? That's your thing? Like you you desire to see good? Okay, great. Listen up. I'm going to tell you how you can see good. And you start to lean in. All right, I'm about to get the key to how I can see good. The seven secrets to experience goodness in the living. Right? You just, oh, I want to get that book. I want to read the seven secrets. You ready? Lean in. Listen. This is what David says is the key. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This seeking peace, he's talking about seeking peace with God, the only one who can satisfy your soul. And this seek is a picture of seeking to secure. This word pursue is a word picture which the Hebrew word is so colorful. Like it really could do it no justice in our translation. Like you got to get a concordance sometimes and just take a look at a word at random. And you'll see like all of that for the one word that we translated? Well, which one is it here? Right? And in this particular word, this pursue, this word translated pursue, is painting a picture to hunt. And the, the young lion who looks for and suffers want, David is saying, for those who pursue God, you'll find him. Right? So you imagine, just picture a lion for a moment. See, you, you, can't, you can't read the word and be all stuffy with it in the Lord. Said, no, you got to use your imagination. There's a reason why these word pictures are being painted. So if you picture a lion, a lion does not pursue its prey all haphazardly like, oh, hopefully I'll find something. No, a lion finds its position and it lays low and it finds some brush and it has every intent on catching that gazelle. 
And if you look at that line, you could look at that line for an hour. You're like, did that line move? Like, yeah, it moved. You didn't see that? I mean, it's just moving so slow because it doesn't want to startle its prey. And when that line gets close enough, something about to die. Because it had every intent on capturing that which it was pursuing. That's what David is saying. Pursue it. Go hard for God. Get it. Lean in. Long for. Want nothing else but the goodness of God. For those who go after God like that, David says, you will find him. He's near to those who would draw near to him. You want good? Go get it. Pursue it with everything in you. Don't be distracted. Lay low. That ant is biting me and it is on a nerve. I guess the ant's got to eat too because I'm not going to be distracted from getting this gazelle. Nothing's going to distract me from going after what God has for me. This is the persuasive plea that David makes. And just to paint the picture real clear, David goes into a comparison and contrast. Listen, you have a choice today. You can either turn away from evil and do good, pursue God, or you can continue to go after evil and not go after good. But let us be very clear. Your choice will determine your outcome. For those who do good, David says the eye of the Lord, the ear of the Lord is towards them. For those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against them. For those who do good, you get God. For those who don't do good, you get cut off. And he makes this very plain and ties it back into the psalm. We won't jump back into it right now. You can go ahead and meditate on Psalm 34 throughout this week. But what we see is a sobering reality. And we don't like to talk about it a lot. But the good news isn't so good if you don't understand how bad the bad news really is. So David goes on to let us know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And here's where the psalm ties all together. Why David would continue to praise God even in the cave. Because David understands that he will not be condemned. See, David is not just focused on his present state. He knows the eternal promise that awaits him. A place in glory where there is no pain. Where there are no tears. And so David says, for those like me who don't take their refuge in the cave, but take their refuge in Christ, I know that I will not be condemned. And that's why my face will never be ashamed. That's why my face will be radiant. I know it may look bad now, but there's a place reserved for me in glory. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It may not make it to somebody's hall of fame in this life, but I'd rather be on God's roll than in man's Rolodex. Any kids in here, I just dated myself. Look, Carter's like a Rolodex. What in the world is that? You know, it's, it's, it's this old thing you flip through. It's your, I'll tell you, your dad will tell you about it later. But you know, I'd rather be on God's road than to try to be remembered by man. And this understanding changes what you pursue. 
See, because if I'm just looking for relief in this life, then maybe I'll do me. See, because while you think of evil, what is evil? Is that robbing, stealing, cheating? Evil is being disobedient to God. So you do the opposite of whatever God says. You do your thing. Be your own God. You're going to have your own problems because you're going to have to protect and provide for yourself. And you're going to be condemned, separated from God for all eternity. But for those who take refuge in him, for those who pursue him, for making their passion, their heart, their longing. You want good? Better go after God because he's the only one who's going to keep you. He's the only one who preserves you. He's the only one who can redeem you, rescue you from sin, death, and the grave. And the psalmist is not understanding this on his own. Jesus teaches this lesson. And Jesus' disciples continue to share this lesson with future disciples. It may not look good for the believer now, but know that God will do good always for you. So do not be distracted. Do not go after the things of this world, putting your trust and confidence in man. Be persuaded that only God is good and only God does good. And put your confidence in no one and nothing else. Wait on the Lord. In the cave, praise him. In the pit, glorify him. No matter where you are or what you're going through, if you've got God, you're good. And that's what James the brother of Jesus and disciple of Jesus tells us here in James chapter 5. He paints this contrast like the psalmist does. For those who want to put their confidence in something else, not going to look pretty. So I want to encourage you to go after God. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep and howl. No one's looking at the rich and telling them to weep and howl. People are looking at the rich saying, oh, man, I want to be where they are. James is saying, no, you rich, come. Weep and howl. Can you picture weeping and howling? I don't know what it looks like. If I'm thinking of a wolf, it's like, man, that is really some sad crying. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Those things that you have put your trust in are now failing you. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the angel of the Lord that encamps around those who fear him. Payment's about to come for those who did evil to his righteous people. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Like, did you write this in the 21st century, James? Like, what's the date on this book? You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you, but God will repay you. And because of this truth, listen to the encouragement from James to the people of God. Be patient, therefore, you who believe in the Lord, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. 
You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, keep your commitment to Christ so that you don't fall under condemnation. Stay true to your profession of faith and continue to pursue the Lord of hosts. Don't go after those other things. They'll fail you. Only God will keep you. This is the encouragement. God will keep us. God will preserve us. We have been reconciled to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. So even though I may not be rich in this life, even though this life may not be pleasant, even though things don't look like they're coming together for me, because I know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth because I am not condemned. I may be experiencing many afflictions. See, we can't just try and read this word and make it all plush and nice for us in this life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I know that that's not the cheering statement, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. We have a place in glory. That's what compelled David to praise God in the cave. And that's what compelled David to compel others to praise God as well. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we have to stop looking at the circumstances and the situations. Develop a rhythm of remembrance. Lord, you have been good to me when I was not good to myself. While I was weak and yet in my sins. I feel like a run in my toes right now. I'm like, I just need about two and a half amens. You know, I was like, I mean, you just, when you think about who God is and what he has done, but you have to intentionally say, Lord, I'm not going to remember where you brought me from. Instead, I'm going to stay stuck on what it looks like now and not consider what you have promised to give to me. And I'm going to allow this moment right here to determine my praise, to determine what I will bless. No, after considering what he has done and what he has promised to do, I know what it looks like now, but I bet you I do praise him. I bet you I do adore, honor, reverence the Lord of hosts who has been good to me when I wasn't good to myself. I mean, anybody else in here, you don't need to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody who hasn't. But been saved by Jesus? What time is it? Does Bonnie come? Is she coming this afternoon? You don't know? All right, I'm not going to, Sean only said that because like, Michael, don't take 20 more minutes, man. <clears throat> well, don't give me the mic next time. I just need you to sit with this for a moment, right? Because how quickly we can forget 
who God is and what he has done. What has he done for you? Do you remember where he found you? Do you remember what you had to offer? Do you remember who you were before God touched you with his wisdom? Oh, I know who Michael was. Whew. There is no transformation like the transformation that God does on a heart. That was us, weak and sinners. Let me read this scripture again because you are looking at me like, no, I don't know what he did for me. Okay, hold on. <laughs> for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Be hard-pressed to find your cousin to say, I'll die for you. Oh, no, no. And you shouldn't have been acting foolish. But God was willing to die. This is how he shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember where he found you? Do you recall what he's done for you? It's God who gave us the power to get wealth. If it were not for God, we would be lost in our sin. David was acting insane. We would be insane if we didn't have Jesus. So I know that it doesn't look good. How long will this virus last anyway? Every time it looks like it's dying down, another variant comes up. I mean, just fear, death is like, ah. Oh. But do you remember who God is and what he rescued you from? Like, I'm not going to let this current state determine my praise. We are a people of praise, not because of where we are or what we have, but because of who Christ is and what he has done. Thank, thank you, somebody. Who said amen? I, I, sir, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to embarrass you, but I just keep it coming. <clears throat> amen. A all the way, men. Like, I mean, come on, people. Do you remember? We've been in this for three months. If we don't choose to remember... We will forget. And then instead of focusing on who God is and what he has done, we will complain instead of praising continually. Oh, man, you know what? I didn't get the pie that I wanted last week. You're breathing. And you have so much leftovers that you're going to complain in three days about still eating turkey. <laughs> Complaining because you have too much food. We're people of praise. That's what Paul was talking about. I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing, as long as I have Jesus, that's the key. So if you can get into that rhythm, remember who Jesus is, what he has done. How often do you need to do it daily? And if you're really going through a, a tough spell, Hourly. Remember, and we will praise the only one who can save. And people will look and see, like Michael, you poor man. Now, I have Jesus. But that's what my mother told me. Mikey, I'm sorry. Nobody else calls me Mikey except my mother. <laughs> Mikey, I'm sorry <clears throat> that I couldn't leave you with a lot. 
And now that I've come to know Jesus, I thank my mother. I said, Mama, you never need to apologize. You gave me the one thing that matters. You introduced me to Jesus. And that's all I'm here to do today. I'm not promising you a castle, but I want to introduce you to Jesus. Because if you can leave here seeing him and knowing him, you don't complain about the cave because he's promised you a place. And so I'll praise him in my cave because God is good and he does all things well. I'm going to call the praise team to come back up. We're going to take a couple of minutes. I want you to sit with this for a moment. A couple of things that I want you to prayerfully consider as you're meditating on what the Lord is speaking to your heart. One is, how are you going to make a rhythm of remembering who God is and what he has done? Because listen, if you leave here and think that it's going to happen accidentally, you're planning to fail. You need to leave here with a plan to praise. Lord, I'm going to praise you this way on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You need to do it. So we're going to take a couple of moments, you and Jesus. But then also, if we're going to be a people of praise, we also need to be a people who pursue God and God alone. So the other thing that you need to wrestle with, what are you pursuing that you're waiting on to praise God? No, I'm going to praise God as soon as, no, he's God. He's good, and he's right here right now. And after these next couple of moments, we're going to have an opportunity to praise God. And since I didn't get 50 amens at one time, I'm certain that you were saving your vocal cords to blow the roof off of this place when we get ready to praise God in the midst of our cave. Thank you, brother. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so the next couple of minutes, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to demonstrate that we're a people of praise. Because we serve a good God who does all things well. Bless the Lord at all times. 
his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Because you're good and you do all things well. Our profession of faith that we will adore, honor, reverence you, O oh God. Not because of where we are. Not because of what we have or don't have. But because of who you are. What you have done. And what you have guaranteed to do. So Father, may our praise be pleasing in your ears, may it be a sweet-smelling savor to your nostrils. And Lord, for those who are in the cave, experiencing hardship and trial, may you cause us to taste and see that in spite of where we are, that you are good. That you're worthy of worship. And so, Lord, as we remember who you are and what you have done, we will praise you continually. We make the choice to be, to be a people of praise. Father, would you rescue and redeem the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit, those who are in distress, debt, bitter in soul. Remind, introduce us to the Savior of our soul that we would praise continually all of our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen.